get your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. It's interesting that he chose that, that song this morning because that's actually based upon a couple of verses, some of them in the Old Testament, some of them in the New Testament. And one of the verses that that's referenced from in the New Testament is in the book of Ephesians, actually Ephesians chapter um, 3, verse 18, which is part of our reading this morning. You'll see a little bit of that when we get there. But in essence, that song that we just learned, what it's talking about, that fountain that flows, that's the, the love of Christ. That's the love of God that's coming through. And it's that fountain that just flows so abundantly. It's so deep. It's so wide. It's so, almost overwhelming. And in our passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, it says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. You may be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So we see that's one of the verses where we get that. We're going to be looking at the love of Christ today. Specifically, we're going to be looking at at, at the four-dimensional love of Christ this morning. Can we get our screen up? There we go. We're going to be looking at Christ's love in 4D this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, you know the, the world. We normally perceive things in three dimensions, right? We have length, we have width, we have depth. We see things in three dimensions. And scientists have been trying to get us to view things in, in addition dimensions, to be able to not only uh, perceive them, but to be able to understand them. Well, it's very important that we understand that the way Paul describes Christ's love, he describes it in four dimensions. And we're going to look at those four dimensions this morning. Because it's not enough that we just understand or not enough that we see four dimensions when we see Christ's love, but that we actually understand four dimensions. So the first one is the breath of Christ's love. The breath of Christ's love. And we're doing a couple things a little different this morning. You may have noticed we had a countdown timer. This was supposed to help us with our online broadcast a little bit. Um, of course, then our sound messed up, so it didn't. But that's to let people, when they come on uh, to the live broadcast, to know when we're going to be starting. Um, that also helps you guys so you know when to be in your seats. And so that we're going to try and do more of that. We're also going to be trying to put the Bible references up here. We're not going to be putting the Bible verses up here themselves because what we found in, in, in churches that put the Bible verses up, people stop bringing their Bibles to church. And one of the worst things that can happen to a Christian is, is that they stop reading in their Bibles. So we'll give you the reference, because sometimes I talk really fast and people are like, what, where is he at? What's the reference? So we're going to be going through these three in just a moment, so you kind of know where we are and you can follow along. But the Bible verses themselves are not going to be going up there, because we don't want you to become lazy Christians. We have too many churches, and this world is full of lazy Christians, and we don't want to promote any more of that. So let's talk about the breadth of Christ's love. Verse number 18, it said, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, that is the breadth, length, depth, and height of his love. So we're going to be looking at these things. The breath, the, what is the, the breath of Christ's love? Well, the breath of his love, the wideness of his love, is as far as the earth is. He says it's as far as east is from west. Now, interesting that he chose east and west 
because there is no distance. There's no stopping. When you get north and south, you get to a point, and the north stops, but the south continues on. And in John 3.16, we see where he talks about that breadth of his love. He says, for God so loved the world, not part of the world, the entire world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. His only begotten son. And we see that, that from that one verse, we already begin to see how difficult it is for us to truly understand the love of God. If you're a parent, it's inconceivable that you would sacrifice your child, your only child, for somebody that hates you. You wouldn't sacrifice your only child for somebody that loves you. But God not only sacrificed his his son for those that love him, but also those that despise him. The entire world. Not just part of the world, the entire world. The meaning of the the gospel is what we talk about the gospel in the book of John. is That love was created or that love is is shown to us because we see the, the total fallen nature of man. We see the total depravity of man in the Gospel of John. And despite that total depravity of man, despite the rejection of man to God, God still sent his son to die for us. Christ loves all of us, even the unlovely. 1 John 4.10 says, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Oftentimes, we, you know, particularly in relationships, we think, well, if I love somebody enough, that'll make them love me back. And that's not how love works. And we see that in the picture of God. God doesn't love us because we love him. Because even those of us that try to love him, we, we're failing him on a daily basis. And if, our, if his love towards us was based upon our love towards him, how unlovable are we? How could he possibly love us? but he doesn't love us because we love him. We love him because he loves us. It's important to understand the depth of God's love, that we understand that that God loves those, Jesus Christ loves those that hate him. And we live in a world today that is full of Christ-haters, that is full of people that, that... no, some, some of them just ignore Christ. That passive aggressiveness of ignoring Christ. But there's others that are very vocal in their opposition to Christ. There are those that, that view us as something that must be exterminated. And not just uh, a, a, in a symbolic sense, but in a literal sense. We've had people go into churches and try and exterminate Christians. The Church of England, now it's called the Episcopal Church today, before the foundation of our country, they used to go to to Baptist churches and they'd chain the doors closed on Sunday morning and light fire underneath the church to kill everybody inside. That was here on this soil. Yesterday, we had a, a, I hope a deranged individual, I hope he wasn't in his right mind, drive his vehicle into a church in Ocala and then get out with a can of gasoline, some matches, and light it on fire 
Fortunately, nobody was hurt. But what level, what depth of depravity, what depth of hatred does somebody have to have to get to that point? I've been angered. I get mad at things. I get mad at circumstances. I get mad at these different things. But I, the thought of, uh, of getting to that point, I've never been that angry. I've never been that depraved. I've never been that far down the rabbit hole to where that looked like a good option. But we're seeing that, and we're seeing that more and more every day. There's so much going on out there that the media is not even showing us now because it would be just overwhelming for us to even be able to see it, and it doesn't fit their agenda. But we see things that are happening every day of people being, being pulled out of cars for, for no other reason other than their, their religion or the color of their skin or, or a bumper sticker that they have on the car, and they're being assaulted. And Christ still loves those people. See why it's a little difficult for us to understand the love of God? It's hard for us to love somebody that's despitefully used us. It's hard for us to love somebody that, that has, has despitefully used somebody that we care about. Somebody that's hurt your children. Somebody that's hurt your spouse. And yet we see in the breadth of Christ's love that he loves all of them. Ephesians 5.2, it says, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. heard a story about a visitor who was supposed to be a resident in heaven. And he came and he spent some time with his family on earth. This is a made-up story. Thought they lose their minds. People on the earth noticed that any time that he saw somebody, he always saw the good in them. He always, everything he saw, he saw as being attractive. Everything he saw, he saw as being positive. And so they finally asked him, you know, how can you look at this, this bad situation? Or how can you look at these bad people? How can you see good? And he says, I've spent all my time with Jesus and loved him with all my heart and all my soul. I have been with him so much that I have come to know the demeanor of his form and the look of his eye and almost every one of his gestures. And as I look at these people that seem to you to be so repulsive, I could detect in every one of them some gesture or some expression of the face or voice that reminded me of Jesus. And I could not help but love them. Like I said, that's a made-up story. But the reality of that is the more that we spend with Jesus, the more Jesus will see in people. The more we will start to understand a little bit. We're never gonna, I don't think we're ever on this earth ever going to come to the, the level of understanding of, of Christ's love for the ungodly that he has. But we can begin to get slivers. We can begin to get glimmers of why he loves these people. And even if we can't, even if we never get to a point where we can love somebody that's, that's so despicable, maybe we can understand a little bit about why Christ loves them. And as an ambassador of Christ, start treating them as our, as our Lord would have us treat them instead of the way that we want to treat them or instead of the way the world wants to treat them. Secondly, let's look at the length of, cross, of Christ's love. Let's look at the length of Christ's love. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. 
Therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn thee. The length of Christ's love extends from eternity to eternity. There is no beginning of his love. There is no end of his love. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He already loves you with all of his heart. That's why he draws us to him. Our only response to his love is to walk in it. To live in his love. 1 John 1, 7-9 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't you love that he loves us even when we're not lovable? Even when we stumble? Even when we fall? A lot of parents have their kids home right now. And they're beginning to... None of the kids here. This isn't directed to any of the kids here, any of the parents here, just things I see on Facebook. They're beginning to see how irritating their kids are. Mm-hmm. And they're having a new appreciation, I think, for teachers that have to put up with 30 or 40 of these irritating children, or at least half of them. The other half are probably pretty good. Jesus Christ is with us all the time. And I would imagine we irritate him quite a bit. When we, we specifically do things that he told us not to do, when we specifically don't do things that we were told to do, most of you are parents in here. At least for me, one of the most irritating things for me with, with, with children when they're growing up is when you give them a specific, simple direction and they just don't do it. Be a little irritating, right? But since we're built like our Father, since we're built like Christ, we, we don't lose our love for them in that moment. We may want to kill them in that moment, put them in a box. My mom used to threaten, I hope she's watching. She used to threaten, she's going to put me in a box and feed me through a hole. That's what I grew up with, just saying. Because I was a normal kid. And I would be a little irritating every once in a while. Not as bad as my sister. But not quite perfect. He loves us. We can't deceive ourselves and we can't deceive him and stand before him and say, we're perfect, we're we're without error, we're without sin, because that in itself is a sin. He knows that we're not perfect. He knows you have flaws. That doesn't mean he he overlooks them or excuses them. Jesus Christ in the Bible, he always dealt with sin. And today he always deals with sin. There's always consequences for sin. But one of the consequences of sin is it does not stop him from loving us. It's truly that unconditional love. There's nothing we can do to stop him from loving us. There are things we can do to anger him. There's things we can do to where we don't hear him so well anymore. But there's nothing we can do that stops him from loving us.
Georgia Tech played the University of California in the 1929 Rose Bowl. In, a game that a, in that game, a player recovered a fumble, but he became confused and ran the wrong way. A teammate tackled him just before he would have scored a touchdown against his own team. At halftime, all the players went to the dressing room and sat down, wondering what the coach would say. This young man sat by himself, put a towel over his head, and cried. When the team was ready to go back out on the field for the second half, the coach stunned the team when he announced that the same players who had started the first half would start the second. All the players left the dressing room except for this young man. He would not budge. The coach looked back as, as he called him again and saw his cheeks were wet with tears. The player said, Coach, I can't do it. I've ruined it. I've ruined you. I've disgraced the university. I can't face the crowd in the stadium again. Coach then put his hand on the player's shoulder and said, Get up. Go back in. The game is only half over. You think about this story and think of the depth of that. Think about what a, what a coach that is. How easy would it have been to just say, We're done with you. You've embarrassed me as a coach. You've embarrassed the team. You've, you've almost cost us the game. We had a great opportunity and you squandered it. Just stay in here and cry. But the game is only half over. Sometimes we fail Christ so amazingly. We fail Christ so big that we think we become unuseful. We think that Christ can't do anything with us anymore. But the game's not over. As long as the game's not over, you still have a part to play. You still have a position to fill. He expects you to fill the position, and your teammates need you to fill the position. He's not going to give up on you just because you run the wrong way. He's not going to get up, give up on you because you dropped the ball. He's not going to give up on you because you have some great and huge big sin, something that you think is over unsurmountable. He's not going to give up on you. Luke 17, 3 and 4 says, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Think about that. What are we supposed to do when we see a brother stumble? Are we supposed to ignore it? What are we supposed to do? Rebuke him. What does rebuke him mean? It means you were wrong. Maybe he didn't know he was wrong. Maybe he didn't know that everybody else knew that he was wrong, more likely. We rebuke him. We tell him, this is what you did wrong. This is where you went astray. And when he repents, what do we do? We continue to rebuke him, right? No, what do we do when he repents? We what? We forgive. We forgive. Now, what does it mean to forgive? Forgive doesn't mean to forget. If it's somebody that's hurt you, it doesn't mean you have to forgive. You don't have to forget that they hurt you, but you forgive them and they are restored. And if they do it seven times, we continue to forgive them as long as they're willing to repent. See, this is key here. It's, it's key here because there's a lot of confusion. We did a whole study on, 
on forgiveness one time, and we may do do another one one time, but, but a couple of the things that were really difficult for people to understand about forgiveness. One, forgiveness and forgetting don't mean the same thing. I've forgiven people that I have nothing to do with now. Because I forgave them and said, you know what? I can't have you in my life anymore. I can't have you hurting people around me anymore like this. And so I forgave them. I don't think about them. They don't dwell in my heart. They don't, they don't, they don't, they're not in there gnawing away at me with that unforgiveness, that damaging nature of unforgiveness. It's not there. I forgave them. I gave it to God. God's dealing with it. But I don't have anything to do with them anymore. That's hard. Dealing with somebody you care about. But we have to do that. We have to understand that forgiving and forgetting are two different things. We also have to understand that when we forgive somebody, we have to forgive somebody. We can't keep a string attached to it. If we're going to forgive them or we're going to continue to allow them to be in our life, then we can't keep bringing it up. Remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? None of the husbands went amen when I said that. That's shocking. At least the first time I ever said that, nobody said amen. If we forgive, we forgive. Again, it doesn't mean we forget. We made it had to change our behavior, the way we relate to that person. But we forgive. Let's look at the depth of Christ's love. The depth of Christ's love caused him to leave the splendor and the glory of heaven and come to be our sacrifice. Romans six, Romans 5, 6 and 8 says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the, who? Ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The depth of his love, again, goes beyond our understanding. We go back to that. Would we die for a bad person? No. Would we die for a good person? Maybe. Probably not. I think each one of us, though, probably has people in our lives that we would die for. Right? I mean, without hesitation. I'm not asking you, Dean. Rachel, which one of your kids would you die for? All of them, right. Was there any hesitation? Of course not. Because they're sitting right there. No, of course not. Because for parents, you don't have to think about that. If it's you or your child, but you. That's easy. And so we understand that. We, we get that, that there's people we would die for. Husbands would die for their wives. Wives would probably die for their husbands. And we get that. There are probably other people in your life that you wouldn't, probably wouldn't have a hesitation to die for. But then there's other people in your life that, no. No, I'm not crossing the street to put them out if they're on fire. But when we act like Christ, God commendeth his love toward us. What does that word commendeth mean? It means showed or expressed. He showed his love toward us. When? After we got good? After everything was perfect in our lives? After we were worthy? 
after we were righteous. Is that what it says? God commended his love towards when? While we were yet sinners. Which is good. Because if not, he wouldn't have died for any of us. That's what I like about 5.6. Romans 5.6, it says, in, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Praise God. Because if he died for anybody else, it wouldn't have included me. It wouldn't have included anybody. You could put your name in there. We hate that word ungodly, don't we? It's such a dirty word. Yeah, you can interchange your name there. In due time, Christ died for Jay. Because I'm the ungodly. Philippians 2, 6 and 8 says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and found in, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We need to understand that when we're trying to talk about the depth of his love, we need to really understand who we're talking about here. Because we've used a lot of examples about me dying for somebody or you dying for somebody. This wasn't a person. This wasn't just a regular person dying for some other person. This was God himself. The Bible speaks of the deity of Christ. He is God. God left heaven because he loves you so much. To suffer with humanity to suffer more than humanity suffered all the way up to being obedient to the cross obedient unto death what does that mean to be obedient unto death it means he didn't have to die there wasn't a, a nail pounded into him or a thorn pushed into his flesh or a whip that crossed his body that he did not allow. Death had no control over him. If I told one of you right now, if I said, Jerry, come up here on stage, Jerry has a choice. He can either sit there, I'm not calling you up, he can either sit there and be disobedient, or he can be obedient and come forward. That's his choice. And we, never need, we, we need to make sure we understand Jesus Christ had a choice every single step of the way, and he chose to be obedient to something that had no power over him. He chose to be obedient to death. Why? Because of the depth of his love. Calvary shows how far men will go to sin. How far we will go as mankind to, to squelch anything that calls attention to our sin. To destroy anything that, that is opposed to us. It shows the most vile nature of man. And it shows the greatest love of God. It shows how far God was willing to go for our salvation. Remember Romans 5.8. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us.
Dr. R.T. Williams told this, this story. It was a ship that was wrecked, being wrecked. There were only half enough lifeboats for the passengers. So the captain fell on this plan. A hat was placed. The passengers were informed of the situation. The captain, we have just enough lifeboats for half the passengers. This hat, in this hat, there are just as many cards as there are passengers. Babies not counted. On half of these cards is a cross. Half of them are blank. We want all to pass by and draw a card. Those who get a card with a cross on it will be permitted to enter into the lifeboat. That is your ticket. Those who draw a blank must remain on the sinking ship. After some discussions, the passenger said, This is fair. Thus they filed by. The hat was covered. Were they drawing life or were they drawing death? It was a solemn hour as people filed by and pulled their cards out of the hat. Among those who passed by were a father and mother and child. They solemnly drew their cards and passed. Almost afraid to look, finally the husband looked and he was happy he had drawn a cross. The wife looked and she would drawn a blank. One ticket to life, the other ticket to death. The husband exchanged his ticket with her. At her refusal, he said, you, you must go. He said, I just have one request. Be true and meet me in heaven. Take care of our baby. And when she is 12 years of age, tell her of this tragic incident. There was no time to lose. The ship was listening. The man kissed his wife and baby goodbye and tenderly helped them into the boat. Soon the old ship sank and he with it. The years sped by, and the day the little girl was 12 years old arrived. True to her promise, the mother took her into the living room and related the sad experience to her, told her how her father took their place. The father's picture was nearby. As the mother talked, the little girl wept bitterly. She took the picture up, kissed it, pressed it against her cheek, and said, Oh, Daddy, Dear Daddy, you were a good daddy. You died for us, and I love you so. That was gratitude. But think of the sacrificial love of Jesus. He did not die for his friends or his enemies. He died while, while we were yet sinners. It is a base ingratitude that refuses to love him, that refuses to serve him. The story was originally told by William Moss Tinwell. It's easy for a father to die for their children. Those children that love and show gratitude. But the depth of Christ's love, he died for those that hated him. Lastly, let's look at the height of Christ's love. We can see the height in Christ's love by his reaching down from his throne in glory to the hearts of every believer and lifting them up to sit with him as a heavenly citizen. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We see the height of his love as he reaches down to bless us over and over and over. Even when we're not blessable, even not blessable by our standards, 
he still continues to bless us. We lose sight of the fact that every time the sun comes up, that's God blessing us with another day. A day that we don't deserve, a day that we didn't earn, a day that we have no claim to, but yet he lays it at our feet, clean and pure, for us to do with as we see fit. We can choose to follow him that day, or we can choose to ignore him that day. And we live that day with the confidence he's most likely going to give us another one tomorrow. Although that doesn't always happen. Ephesians 2, 4 and 7 says, But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. He is rich in mercy. Not just at the quickening of us. That word quickening means to take something that's not alive and make it alive. If that's all he did, wouldn't that be enough? But then he continues to bless us. Continues to raise us up together. Continues to to make us to sit with him in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Continues to show his exceeding riches of his grace. The height of Christ's love is seen in his humbling of himself, leaving his chair in heaven to elevate us to heaven and seeking what is best for us as he works tirelessly to transform us into his image. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity, charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemingly. 